According to the table, the enemy fighter needs a 16 to hit your armor class of negative 2. It swings its Beck to Corbin and rolls a 10. It gets a plus 4 attack bonus and a bonus of plus 2 against your armor type plate. A hit. It does 6 points of damage, dropping you to 0 hit points. Your character is dead. Hello and welcome back to the Grognards. I'm Dean Geiken. I'm Eric Holly. And I'm Greg Ziegler. And today, we're feeling a little odd. We're feeling a little weird. We're feeling a little quirky today. How can you tell? Yeah, we're always a little quirky. Yeah, we are. More so than normal. We're going to go full Grognard today, I think. Yeah, I think uh, you guys need to sit back and get ready to go in the Wayback Machine. Yeah. Get that reference, the Wayback Machine. Who had the Wayback Machine? Uh, it sounds familiar, but... Mr. Peabody. Oh, Mr. Peabody. And, and, Sherman. and Sherman. And Sherman. I knew Greg would get it, so... This, that's, this is not our cartoon episode, though, Dean. No, no, <laughs> no. But we are going to go back in time, and we're going to be talking about the wonderful, wacky rules of AD&D. Yeah, and um, I guess I'll... I'll you going to take this session? Take this session. Okay. Um, and a little history for this. I went to Gen Con this year with my uh, my son, Ian, and he brought one of his college friends. And, of course, he fell in with gamers right away in college because he's a physics math major. And, you know, there's there's a type for gamers, and, and physics and math tend to, to fit those types. Um, and we went out to dinner the first the Wednesday night at Gen Con with one of his friends, and he kept asking me questions about AD&D. And it took me a moment to realize, but he sort of wanted me to like clue his friend in, who didn't have a, a stepdad who had played D&D back in the day, about all the like strangeness that happened in AD&D. Like he was sort of like bringing me out for show. Like, <laughs> tell him about this, tell him about that. Oh, yeah, it's kind of like the stories that you've been telling them yeah, yeah. about your life and whatnot, and they're like, oh, tell my friend about this. Yeah, and yeah. it's funny part is when I'm telling them the stories over the past 10 years, I don't think they're even listening, but apparently he yeah, was. right, yeah. Because now he wanted me to repeat them for his friends. <laughs> because <laughs> nice. they used to play that way? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, it's some sort of gamer cred. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, you know, oh, wow, there was games before videos? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we've got what? Uh, how many years has it been since the original AD&D? Well, the box 70? set, the, the original small box was 74. Right. And then my my measure, the player's handbook, yeah, was 77. Monster Manual, 78. DM's Guide, 79. I, I'm not positive of the order, but those were the three three years it came When out. did you discover it, though? I mean, when did you start? Around 78. Okay, so you've actually been playing AD&D a little bit longer than I yeah, have. Yeah, I started with AD&D. See, I started with the box set. Yeah. And then... Well, I, I started with jacked up D&D, and then we ended up getting the AD&D books <laughs> right, rather yes. quickly. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. yeah I graduated, the from memory d and mm-hmm. I graduated high school in... Or sorry, grade school, eighth grade. We didn't have a middle school. Sort of weird. Um, in '81, and as a graduation present, I received the Monster Manual and the DM's Guide. Up till that time, I'd only had the Player's Handbook. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a hard. Nice. I I had basically a hard introduction to AD and D. We were playing D and D as we had been for quite a while, and then all of a sudden. Uh, my friend said, hey, come on over, we're going to play D&D, and boom, it was all AD&D and such like that. So I kind of was like thrown aback uh, a, a little bit. I was like, wait a second, what am I doing here? And all these new rules, but man, yeah, it, the, was, it was a glorious, glorious uh, uh, introduction. 
you read about the history of D&D, and the funny part is, you know, it's Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson. And if you read the history, Dave Arneson doesn't get nearly as much credit as he should because he's he's really the one that came up with the whole concept of role-playing, so to speak, playing one character, and, and he had a lot of critical input. Uh, but we'll talk about that some other time. The important part is apparently Gygax was better at taking all the notes and combining them into a rule set because he had been a war gamer. He had designed other games prior to D&D. Um, which is amusing when you start actually looking at the player's handbook in the DMG from AD&D because the rules are so convoluted. If Gygax was the better of the two, I don't want to know what Arneson's <laughs> notes look like. I don't think that we probably would have had the game we have today. Yeah. yeah. Things were a little more freewheeling back then, too. You know, there was not a room full of editors and... Well, I imagine they self-play tested. And, uh, I yeah. don't know if there was any play <laughs> testing. <laughs> yeah. You bring up a good point. Um, he, uh, Gygax was an original, originally was a war gamer. And what do you have in war games? Yeah, tables. Tables for tables everything. For everything. Yeah. Yep. And that's one of the things I want to talk about first. Okay. Because it's sort of relevant. If you look at the original materials, um, there's tables for everything. The perfect example being the harlot table. <laughs> yes. Okay. So there's a table. What better way for young boys to, you know. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, we haven't really actually told people, this podcast is about being quirky AD&D rules. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So we're going to talk about all those those weird things that were part of AD&D. Um, but the harlot encounter table, DMG, <laughs> page 192. Let me just, let me the name The name alone is priceless. Yes. This yes. is an actual table. Harlot encounters can be with brazen strumpets or hardy courtes- haughty courtesans, thus making it difficult for the party to distinguish each encounter for what it is. In fact, the encounter could be with a dancer only prostituting herself as it pleases her, an elderly madam, or even a pimp. In addition to the altering uh, offering of the usual fare, the harlot is 30% likely usual, to know valuable... The usual yeah. fare, yeah. I, I love these percent. 30% likely to know valuable information, 15% likely to make something up in order to gain a reward, and 20% likely to be or work with a thief. You may find it useful to use a subtable below to see which sort of harlot encounter takes place. So not only do we have a table, we have a subtable. And remember <laughs> last podcast we talked about titles... Yes, okay. right. This is similar, except it's for harlots. So somebody took the time to come up with uh, titles for harlots. And there are, what, 12 of them. And there's yes. a couple so, words here I don't think I've ever seen before. Okay, so sla- <laughs> slovenly troll. That would be one. Brazen strumpet. Cheap trollop. Tri- typical streetwalker. Saucy tart. <laughs> saucy tart. <laughs> wanton wench. Expensive doxy. Haughty courtesan, aged madam, wealthy procurus, sly pimp, and a rich panderer. Now, you got to read the last bit. Yes, uh, there's a special note. An expensive doxy will resemble a gentlewoman, a haughty courtesan, a noblewoman, and other harlots might be mistaken for good wives, and so forth. I don't know what the so forth is. You have exhausted my knowledge of harlots. (laughs) So someone, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to fill in there. Yeah, I mean, someone had a very vivid imagination about this whole thing. And, man, I mean, I don't recall ever using the harlot chart. <laughs> no, I, I have never used the harlot but chart. But I read it. 
Yes. I read it. Although I do include prostitution in my home game, but every <laughs> prostitute um, is, that's their profession and they do it willingly. There's no sex, right. sex trade, nothing like that, you know? Yeah. I, I'm imagining a lot of really good Wisconsin beer was consumed over the creation of this chart. Oh, I, <laughs> man. I didn't know there was that many types of prostitutes in, in Wisconsin. Lake Geneva is a fairly small town. <laughs> It was a vacation town. You know, well, they drove into Milwaukee. So when that, we go yeah. to Gary Con, we're going to have to do a survey. Yes. <laughs> you know, that would be, um, what's your favorite type of harlot? <laughs> and we'll have, like, the table printed out in, in large type. Oh, what what is a troll? Is that yeah. a good thing yeah, or a I bad thing? I don't know thing? that. It's not troll. It's troll. troll. Oh, I've heard troll before. I had never heard You apparently haven't read enough Conan's books. Because every one of those was described in at least, you know, a few... Apparently, it's not a good thing, because they're slovenly. Yes, they're slovenly. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you would consider in kind of a, a pirate uh, yarn. You know, they'd be that slovenly troll who's, you know, like, you know, barely got any clothes on. They're rags, and they're dirty and filthy and all that kind of stuff, so... Okay, so in, in commemoration of tables, we have... 21 topics that we have decided are quirky AD&D rules. And rather than go through them in order like we normally do, I brought a D20. So we have our quirky AD&D rule table. We'll at now, least start that way. And I, folks out there, this is for the uh, for those people who are just listening. Eric is holding a amber-colored D20, and it's about the size of a baseball. No, because, it's not that big. Because, it's more like a cue ball. Because he's an old guy. Yeah, it's a little smaller. Than, well, it's about if you rounded all the corners it would be about cue ball size i i am in search for the this... largest d20 that i can afford wow. that is rollable that is rollable like <laughs> yeah, i don't want any of the cheap ones there they was one on kickstarter a nice aluminum one. Oh, oh wow. yeah but it was it was like 300 dollars. yeah it was, i saw that one, but it's yeah. like nine bucks yeah. yeah that one was quite cool. that's that's a uh it's a, a gen, uh, gen con yeah. uh and something uh, that doesn't and it was damage cool. a table yeah, well, I like it to make some sound, but I don't oh, want it to damage. Believe me, it's going to make a sound I, when, when you I roll pull it. this out from behind the DM screen. I say, okay, it's time to bring the pain. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. If we wanted but to damage a table, I could have brought my metal dice in. Since we have twenty-one, <laughs> we need to exclude. We need to cover one right away, and that's going to be negative armor class. Okay. <laughs> because that's the most common one. That's the one when you tell new players, they're like, "Wait a minute, a negative two is good." Yeah. For armor right. class. Yeah. And it just. You need to remember, everything was table-based. So in modern D&D, you try to roll the person's armor class or higher. That makes perfect sense, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not the way they did it in wargaming. Right, exactly. So, so when they started, you're like, you have to roll to hit, and then you have to roll to penetrate, and then you roll your damage roll. So there was multiple things. So in AD&D, you had your armor class, which went down as you got better armor. Because you started with a 10. A 10. Right, and then uh, plate mail and shield was two, and if you got magic, you started to go lower. You could go down to negative ten. Yes, um, and you use that armor class on a table to see what number you needed to roll. And you rolled your table based on what class and level you were, and now, that's going to come in later when we talk about grappling. Right now, that sounds weird to those people who've been playing exclusively D and D since about what uh, three point Yeah, right. Oh, well, yeah. But yeah. to me. Back then, that made total sense. Yeah, and the other thing that cracks me up is, like, I don't need a DM screen when I DM now. I use it. I like the conditions. That's what I use it for. Sometimes I want to cover a map. Mm-hmm. In, in AD&D, you could not play without a DM screen. That DM screen was chock full of tables right out of the DM's yeah, guide yeah, or the player's handbook. And, and monsters had a different table to hit than... than Right. Player characters. Everybody right. had their own table. And we're going to be talking about that on how to actually 
hit a monster or a monster to hit you. Yeah. So, all right. So, all right. Yes. so now that negative armor class, that's the yeah, thing. Yeah, I just want to say I loved it that butt naked you were a 10. Yeah. Add your uh, dexterity, and that would take some more And then more they away. eventually transitioned to Thaco in second edition, yeah. uh, which is the number you need to hit arm class zero, which means you didn't really necessarily need to look everything up every time you rolled, uh, which was a natural extension. And you know, that, That's another thing that's interesting. But basically, it's just what number do I need to hit an armor class zero, and you adjust it from there. It was the beginning of the math. Yes. Yeah. Um, so here we go. D20 roll for our next topic. A six. <laughs> six. Encounter distance. Oh, yes. You know, that was on page 49. Of the DMD. So it was weird. So they still had sort of this wargaming perspective where it wasn't, everything wasn't based on the role play. Basically, when you encountered a monster, the DM would randomly determine at what distance you guys saw each other. Right. Right, and it was just which didn't always work out in a underground dungeon map. No, so and of course, in true AD and D fashion, it was a convoluted process. So outdoors, you started between six and twenty-four inches. And here's something else we're going to talk about a little. Outdoors, an inch is ten yards. So you would start anywhere from sixty to two hundred forty yards. But the DM had to modify that rule, and. You'd think it would be a simple modification based on your terrain, subtract whatever. No, 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 no. Not in AD&D. Yeah. If you're in scrub, <laughs> on any die that had a three or a four, you subtract one. So if you were 60 yards away and you're in scrub and you rolled that three. Then it becomes fifth. a two. But the six remains a six. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so the terrain only matters part of the time. Now, in forest, you subtract one from all the numbers. In marsh, you subtract one from twos, threes, and fours. <laughs> yeah. Uh. So. And, you know, I don't recall. I think I remember using it well, I, we, for a while. A lot of AD&D rules were not used. I glammed onto that whole thing that these are guidelines more so than hard oh, and fast Oh, that rules. was clearly the case in AD&D. Yeah. And—, and you used what you wanted to, and you threw out the rest. Now, indoors, encounter distance was 5 to 10 inches. And this is the other thing that modern players have trouble with. They're like, well, how the hell do you generate 5 to 10? <laughs> right. Uh, 5 to 10 is 1d6 plus 4. Like, they're not good at that. I, that happened mm-hmm. to me at GaryCon. We had to generate a random first-level magic user spell, and it was 1 to 30. So I rolled a d10 and a d6. And, like, half the table, there was a big table we were playing with Ernie Gygax, how did you do that? <laughs> like, they were amazed. And, well, 1 to 2 is 1 to 10. Now, 1 to 2 on a D6 means you use 1 to 10. A 3 to 4 is tw- uh, 11 to 20. Right. And a 5 to 6 is 21 to 30. Could you just roll a D30? They if make you them. own a D30. Yeah. I do have a D30. I, I, I do, too. I do, too, yeah. <laughs> of course, Greg has a D20 or a D30. But, you know, if you have, <laughs> have three a, of them. 1 to 24... <laughs> a D6 and a D12, mm-hmm. and now you can do it. So that's the other thing. that I didn't put that on here, but it's an extra. Um, now, after you rolled your distance and modified your rolls, you now have to modify it again to account for line of sight. So you're not going to notice something's outside line of sight. Now, right. And that's what happens in dungeons. Right. Most of the time, you're encountering them 20 feet away. Oh, and we'll talk about that. Maybe we should talk about it now. The other quirky rule, and they used inches, and inches indoors were 10 feet, but were outdoors were 10 yards. So if your movement was six inches, in a round, indoors, you could move 60 feet. And outdoors, you move 60 yards. Yeah, it was that is a not lot sane. of 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it was it was confusing to say the least for many people. Now, the other thing you had to figure out for encounter distance was surprise. If either party was surprised, then the distance is automatically one to four inches. <laughs> and, and when you say one to four inches, again, I don't recall the whole inches. I do recall using, you know, the, the feet. Oh, sorry, one stuff, to three inches. Or one to three inches. Yeah. I, I recall using it almost immediately, just converting it to feet or yards. Yeah. Um, but you remember, everything had the little inch marks on it. Right. Yeah, so you did it sort of, you were used to it, so you just did it automatically. And most of the stuff was, was indoors. Because yeah. these guys were using tape measures in their wargaming, and it was just a yeah. natural and transition. And still to the same way you do it. If you wargame now, you, you carry right. your little mini tape measure and um, use that, unless you're one of the Star yeah. Wars guys and they got their special little measuring stick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which are quite handy, I'll have to say. Yeah. And then also you had to take into account lighting. So yes, <laughs> did you have a torch? Were you using a uh, yeah? A and light in which case, it's limited to either the light range or if somebody has infravision or ultravision, which were two types of vision, which we didn't include. But that's not really quirky. That's just did infravision. Uh, did infravision become dark vision? It did, but it's different because infravision was like infrared. You saw like yeah. heat. Yeah. Yeah, ultravision was what we think of as more dark vision. Or, I guess that's or true. Or devil's sight. Yeah, I guess that's true. Okay. Infravision would be cool. So encounter distance. Let's, let's roll again, see what we get. Or the same thing. An 11. An 11. Gold equals experience. <gasps> Woohoo! Oh, my gosh. That is... Um... Greg, did you play much AD&D? Uh, once. Once? I okay. played once. The whole term, rifle the body... Comes from, I think, at least in my group, taking all that experience from the gold that any monster might yeah. have on him or much, any creature. Much of the session was figuring out how to get the loot out of the dungeon. Right. Like, who you were figuring encumbrance, who could carry what, how many large sacks did you have? Yes. Like, if you, right now we sort of gloss over, oh, yeah, you carry it. But, like... At I that don't know, point, when I was DMing, and when we were playing, like, okay, who's got how many large sacks? A large sack can carry this much. How many pouches do you have? Like, what do you, you can't just carry 5,000 gold pieces in your fingers. Right. Yeah, we were always more concerned with weight mm -hmm. in anything we were playing back then for encumbrance. I necessarily mass. the players that I gamed with, uh, it was always, we'll come back and get it later. <laughs> yeah, well, and sometimes that worked, but like a lot of times we would say, oh, somebody else came and got the, the yeah. you know, the goblins came and, and now when they heard the dragon's dead, they came and cleaned out the cave. So it, it's it. not as big as a deal as people make it out to be. But, yeah. Um, but for several reasons, because it wasn't a hard and fast rule. Um, like most things in AD&D, the instructions were, okay, you... Some monsters, monsters were worth experience by themselves, but it was supplemented by the gold they carried. And it wasn't a one-for-one -one conversion all the time. The DM had leeway. Uh, they could make it two-for-one, three-for-one, four-for-one, five-for-one, whatever they wanted to uh, limit how much experience people got. You also couldn't level more than one level at a time. There was training time for levels. So even if you killed that dragon and you were seventh level and you got a boatload of treasure, you're only going to eight. Yeah. You just were a very rich person at 8th level. Well, you could go to the top of 8th, so it's almost two levels, but you had to wait because mm -hmm. you had to train, and then you had to get one I more I recall experience. when I was DMing, I think I would allow something like that to be, uh, you could get to the next level, 
but you could only go to half. That was my. That might have been. Maybe, it. I think maybe that might yeah, have been. We the case. should be clear. We don't currently play first edition. <laughs> We're dredging this stuff from the from the remote recesses of our memories. Yes, exactly. And we've done some some you know preparation for this podcast. We prepared. Greg, did you prepare? Don't look at me. I didn't <laughs> the, prepare. The, <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing that I had forgotten, um, you didn't get experience until you got back to town. Yeah, that's right. Which is very interesting. Yep. Yeah, you had to be back in safety mm-hmm. in order, and that's again, if we look historically, like it started with like Gygax running people through the the uh, levels of the dungeon. So he wanted to make sure like they not only defeated the monsters, but they got back to safety. So that's when you get experience. Um. So gold for experience. That's yeah. it's a thing. I mean, Adventures <laughs> League is now given experience based on time. You have experience checkpoints. Xanathar su- has that as a suggestion. You just you know it's like milestone experience. It right. Was, it was sort of halfway towards milestone. Hmm. You defeat a big creature, you're going to get a level. I truly it. prefer milestone. That's the way I like. To I, I play. do enjoy um, running it that way. It makes it a little easier on a DM. Yeah. Um, Oh, and the last little tidbit I wanted to put in, because I had one of these characters, a barbarian named Chaka, who I'm recreating for our next podcast, which is going to be on fighters. But uh, in Unearthed Arcana, which was part of AD&D, it was a later book. We don't talk about it much. But barbarians destroyed magic items and got experience for destroying magic items. Yep. Magic items were also worth experience in AD&D. But barbarians hated magic, uh, sort of like off the Conan vibe. Yep. So mm-hmm. if they and you want to see a group of upset party members when the barbarians like no I want the wand of magic missiles I snap it over my <laughs> yes. knee and the wizard's like ah yeah I I recall uh, when the barbarian first came out and people were playing it I mean they were going around I mean it seemed kind of anathema they got a magic sword but they were trying like the devil to destroy that magic sword. Well, a lot of times, you, as you increase in levels, you were allowed to keep a very limited number of magic yes. items. So usually they keep their magic weapon, maybe some armor or something. But yeah, everything else, it was almost sort of useful when those items nobody wants. The barbarian's like, I'll take them and then yeah. get experience for it. Right. All right, so what's the next hmm, roll of the die? Okay. Greg's over here like, man, I'm glad I did not play that game. What in the hell? Yeah. 17. Oh, I need to pull out. I, I brought all my books. Okay. What Holy you- word. Oh, uh, I need to look. Up. I recall that. Rem- barely recall that. Yeah. So everybody had their own spell tables. Um, clerics went up to seventh level. Wizards could go up to ninth level, but the top of the cleric spell casting was seventh level. And one of their seventh level spells was a spell called Holy Word, or Unholy Word, depending on their thing. Um, and basically, it had a three-inch radius, which is thirty feet indoors or and 30, 30 yards outdoors. outdoors. Yeah. Um, you, the terrain word has that? tremendous power. It drives off evil, currencies, good creatures from other planes, forcing them to return to their own plane of existence. It further affects other creatures of differing alignments as follows. Um, creatures hit, die, or level. Less than four kills. Four to seven plus paralyzes. Eight to 11 plus stuns. Twelve or more deafens one to four rounds. Affected creatures must be within a six-inch diameter air effect centering on the cleric casting the spell. There's no exclusion based on alignment. So basically, a high-level cleric just stands, says a word, and anything a four hit dice or lo- hit dice or lower just dies. If the, it's this- not of good alignment. Well, that's not a game breaker. 
It doesn't say that. It drives off evil good creatures from other planes, forcing them to return to their own plane. Evil and good? Wow, it depends. Evil if holy word, good if unholy. Okay, That's okay. what parentheses. Right. But for the other effects, there's no exclusion based on alignment. It just kills everybody. Man, I think <laughs> I had forgotten that. Well, it's one of those things that, like, when you read the spell, like, basically it's like the word you utter your God's name or something, and it just slays everybody <laughs> around you. It doesn't matter if they're good or bad. That's kind of messed up. Yeah. <laughs> that, ain't quirky. Um, that ain't quirky. That's just mean. Yeah. That's kind of broken. <laughs> it, yeah. it is kind of. And I'm sure most DMs would be like, no, like they would take Dean's interpretation. It's yeah. only evil creatures that kill. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. That, that make, that truthfully, makes sense. if you're a follower of some god and I worship a different god, mm-hmm. your god's name would probably kill me because yeah. I don't, I'm not a true believer. Right. Wow. So holy word, just clerics laying waste. Like, don't say it in church. Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, I used to have a church in town, but yeah, everybody but... died. I got a little, a little excited during the sermon. Uttered that holy word, and poof, they were all gone. Okay. Next one. A three. A three. Oh, we already talked about this one. So the fact that an inch was. 10 foot indoors or 10 yards outdoors. That applied to movement. Most spell area of effects, but not all. There was exclusions, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, Do you think... They were smart people. Do you think it was just an editing issue? They had to, at some point, say, why are we using the inch notation? I don't think it was editing. I think no. that's that was their. Where that's they what came made up. sense to them. From I mean, I when guess you so, needed to their... set distances, yeah. it made sense. And like the whole movement thing. Okay, so at first people were like, "That doesn't make any sense that you can move farther outdoors than you can indoors, right?" In the same amount of time. And combat right. rounds were one minute, so you could move sixty feet in a dungeon in one minute, which doesn't make sense. But yeah, um, <laughs> if you think for sixty yards, right? <laughs> You're not the the quickest person, but you can. I mean, outside there's less obstructions, better visibility. So that's what if you're in just a big giant empty room? I mean, you're in a hall, and you have to get from the door to something at the other end of a hundred foot long room. If you look at it, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, you're forgetting the name of this particular (laughs) session. It's the quirky rules of AD and D. Trying to be devil's advocate, they don't necessarily have to make sense. Okay, and so in you know. In that vein, we're going to abandon our die roll because that's what most DMs did in AD&D. They were like, I ain't using the table. I'm just going to do it the way I want to do yeah. it. One more time. One more time. Oh, one more. Okay, just for we'll random, a random encounter. 16. 16. by 17. Oh, bouncing lightning bolts <laughs> and volumetric fireballs. Oh, I didn't put how many. I think it was 33. Okay, so. I don't know. Yeah, this used to be I've like slept part, of your, then. part of your. So basically. There were certain spells that act well. Every spell had its own quirkiness, right? And the big ones, lightning bolts would bounce. Yes. If they hit a wall, they would bounce, and if you were too close, it would hit you. Mm-hmm. It would bounce back towards the caster. But what this frequently meant was you could double the damage of a lightning bolt by having it bounce back and hit the original target. So it hits them on the way down, hits them on the way back. Jeez. Oh, so and that was that was common. Now you couldn't bank them; they always bounced back towards you. Um, okay, that's what so I was wondering. You didn't need to get all kinds of crazy with angles and, and now, calculus. It, w- it wasn't pool. I do recall people using... I, n- I know we used the whole bounce thing, but 
I think we always played it that once it hit a target, it was done. Well, that's not the right way. I know. Yeah. Like, everybody played different, but... Yeah. But, yeah, we used to... I used to bounce lightning bolts all the time. And then volumetric fireballs. Fireball would fill the an, volume. An, yes. And I believe it was 33 10 by 10 squares. If you figure it was a 20-foot radius, fireball did not become 20-yard radius outside. It stayed 20 feet <laughs> because, because AD&D. Um, but if you figure well, the volume for a 20-foot sphere, 20-foot um, radius sphere, I think it comes out to 33, 10, a little over, 33 and a third a or something. pi r cubed. 10 by 10, yeah. <laughs> you could figure it out. Um, what your TI is for. So you used to like figure out, well, how high is the ceiling? If it's a 10-foot ceiling, I need to f- start at the center point and count out till I hit 33, which means a lot of times everybody took fireball damage. Right. Especially if you were firing blindly into a room and you didn't know the size. That was the classic scenario where you know there's enemies in the room, you know you want to fireball them, you're not sure how far back that blast is going to come. It also depended if there was other entrances because it would expand, you know, consistently um that was real weird well, i don't know that one's kind of cool though that that actually makes a little bit of sense but that is the spell that everybody wanted yeah oh yeah fireball was um and it's, to, a, to a large extent still is although i think it's overrated when you look at how much damage a fireball actually does it's not great well, it's good for horse. if though. you're hitting a lot of targets it's perfect yeah but if you're only hitting two or three yeah it's it's okay you know, it's not uh, not my my favorite. Okay. Everybody tends to overestimate. It. Anyway. Right. Anyway, so, okay, so we've thrown out the rules, and now we're into, you know, play as you want. So uh, where do you want to go, or do we okay, get to so I want to talk— Since we're the players, yeah. we get to take their— Let's start—let's go back to the beginning. Okay, so, <laughs> Dean, or Greg, how do you generate your, your ability scores in 5th edition? Uh, I'm a point buyer. Okay, so you almost, can point almost buy. Almost typically. Yeah. Okay. Um, what's What's the other method? Uh, rolling dice. Okay. Mm-hmm. And those are pretty much the two methods. If you go yep. and play D&D, you're going to use one of the DM's going to tell you we either use point by or you need to roll. And by the way, if you ever run a game and you're rolling, have everybody roll in front of you because it, it just creates problems. And oh, I'm yes. a fan of point by in yeah. general. Well, but. And, and then there's your old, do you just roll in order? Do you roll <laughs> yeah. uh, a pool and... Well, and assign the pool. Well, do you roll extras okay. and throw out? So, so it gets complicated. A, D, and D. So, so here's had. the trick question: <laughs> What's the official method for generating character ability scores in A, D, and D? I don't know, Eric. Could you tell me, please? Well, I'll give you a hint. It's not in the player's handbook, which is where you. What? S- you no. think it would be, right? Player's handbook is for generating player characters. And here's here's the thing: A, D, and D. The DM guide was. As necessary yeah. to the players as it was to the DM. Yeah, you didn't need to have permanent access to it, but you needed it because in the player's handbook, it says, oh, you want to make a character? Ask your DM how to generate your scores. Right. And in the DM's guide, it's like, That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, there you was... You need to generate these numbers. Pick a way. Like, there was no official way to make character scores, and this varied wildly among different groups. And there were not, I believe, according to what, some of our preparation and research says there was not just one, not just two, not just three, and not even four. There was potentially five methods. Yeah, so so That's I have crazy. my DMs guide. That's crazy. And they said, you know, gen, they have a whole section, page 11, generation. They said, you know, 
Well, it's possible to generate some fairly playable characters by rolling 3d6. There's often <laughs> an extended playable. period of attempts to find a suitable one due to quirks of the dice. And that's where I heard somebody refer to this as death by farming. So they would they would make a character with straight 3d6 rolls, and then they would just say they become a farmer, and they just roll another set. So their character nice. is death by farming. Um, furthermore... These rather marginal characters tend to have short life expectancy, <laughs> which no tends to discourage new players, as does having to make uh, do with a character of race and or class, which he or she really can't or won't identify. Well, because originally you rolled in order, and then you picked your class. If you wanted to be a wizard and you rolled a seven intelligence, guess what? You're not a wizard. Right, exactly. And that's uh, that goes back to something that I kind of keep uh, on the table for my players you're exceptional. You are, you yeah, know, you're a hero. You're a hero. You yeah. need to be somewhat exceptional. And if you've got a straight eights all the way through, you're not really going to be that heroic. Yeah. So, so they have four suggested methods. None of them are official. And I think I probably have used each of these at some point in mm-hmm. my D&D career. So method one, all scores are recorded and arranged in order the player desires. 46 are rolled and the lowest die is discarded. So 46, six times, right? Drop the lowest, arrange them any way you want. That was probably the most common. Yeah. Method two, um, all scores are recorded and arranged as in method one. 3D6s are rolled 12 times, and the highest six scores are retained. Don't see that anymore. So basically roll 3D6 12 times and keep the best six. Right. Yeah. Uh, Method three, scores rolled are... According to each ability category in order, strength, intelligence, wisdom, dexterity, constitution, charisma, which they changed. I still refer to it in that order, but on, like, I don't know what edition it changed. Probably third. They changed the ordering. I still like to so wait, see what the... You, you, did, uh, <laughs> you did 3d6 rolled six times for each ability? Yeah, and then what you basically would do is 3d6 times... 3d6 six times for each ability, and you keep the highest score in that category. So you roll strength, 3d6 six times, take the best score. Right. Yeah. So there you had a better likelihood of getting very high scores. Yeah, I mean, although... Three, yeah, all, and all of your scores could have been pretty good. Yeah. yeah, you probably get some pretty decent ones. Because you're speaking. doing 36 rolls, essentially. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's, that's how that's you're going to get your best character, lenient. I think. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. pretty nice. And then method four, 3d6 are rolled sufficient times to generate the six ability scores in order. So you're rolling 3d6, which can be some wildly fluky scores. But you do it 12 times. and then you So basically you make 12 characters, and then you pick the one you want. And the other 11 die by farming. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of closer to what we did. We would roll yeah. all the stats in order, and then you would generate, I think, three or four groups of stats in order, and then pick one of those groups. Yeah. And, is- and here, here's the part I like. Uh, NPCs, you just pick their scores. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. don't roll for NPCs. You yeah. just pick them, whatever you want. So yeah. that, that's well, good. you are the game master. So yeah. Okay. Um, so attributes. There was no set method. That's sort of crazy by modern standards. Next one. Save or die. Yep. We have gotten away from this. Oh, yeah. And thankfully. Um, there were a lot of effects that were basically like make a saving throw or die. Mm-hmm. And saving throws fail on a one, no matter what your number is. Yep. So there was a 5% chance that you would die, no matter what your level was. Um, and saving throws also had really quirky, like, in retrospect, it's sort of, we, we use the stat-based saving throws now, but... Um, I mean, that does make a certain amount of sense. Yeah. Just the probability that something 
Back that is going to happen, and it's going to kill you no quickly. matter what. You had saving throws like spells, rod, staff, wands mm-hmm. was a category. Rod, yeah. staff, wand, one category. Death magic was another category. Yeah. And they varied a little bit, but it wasn't clear why they varied based on whatever metric. They just were different. They were war gamers, and they, you know, everything did more damage in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Much like, and maybe we're jumping around here a bit, weapons. Yeah. Your weapon, of course, does different damage, but it also had... A speed factor. A speed factor, and it had bonuses in its attack. Yeah, it could against different armor types. Right. So if you were attacking something with armor, different weapons had a bonus based on the armor type. Yes, I I, I recall like... uh, And it did different damage for small, medium versus large. That's tr- that's correct. Yes, that is also correct. Oh my gosh, uh, so much of this stuff is flooding back. I'm like, how did we ever get through a game? It was crazy. It was crazy. And then on top of that, you had um, fighters at some point in their career would get three attacks every two rounds. Do you remember that rule? Yes, I, I do. I had forgotten that three as well. So basically, you would need mm-hmm. to keep track of where you were in your multiple attack sequence. Right. So on round one, I get one attack. Around two, I get two attacks. Around three, I get one attack. Around yes. four, I get two attacks. Yeah. I think I when I when my characters had that ability, or I should say my players, I was mainly the DM. I'd let them kind of pick and choose if it was going to do two attacks their first round. No. Yeah. God, you were a softy. <laughs> no, man, we were in it for the combat, man. I know, but yeah. you gotta you gotta earn that second round, man. What if they what if they didn't get to attack? Then it would restart the sequence. Well, that's they true. Skipped an attack. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was a much more brutal combat style. <laughs> um, yeah, and speed factor. You know that affected two things. If people were tied for initiative, we're going to talk about initiative yeah. in a little bit. But um, your weapon. who goes first. But it could also give you multiple attacks. If you had a small weapon that was very fast, there was a special rule for getting an additional attack. Um, I'd have to look it up, but I remember it was there. Uh, so that also had the effect. Most people didn't use speed factor, from my experience. I, I think and they I didn't use combat for... modifiers either, because the combat modifier table was a little confusing because it had it based on armor class number. And a three um, could be either plate mail by itself or I think like split mail and shield. So does the three, does that modifier count for both of those armor types? Why would a split mail and shield be the same as plate mail? So it was a little confusing to the 13-year-old mind. So so most of the time we just ignored those armor modifier. And I, a lot of times yeah. monsters didn't have armor anyway. Right. It, yeah, it, rarely did they have it. Yeah. It was that, that natural armor that they had. Yeah. Now, here's another one we've talked about previously. Um, dual classing versus multi-classing. It's like your favorite section. Oh, my God. Well, <laughs> in AD&D, I wasn't, I wasn't a huge multi-classer. I mean, I did, did some um, and a little bit of dual classing. But like true AD&D fashion, totally different rules. So to start with, only non-humans could multi-class, and they had to do it from the start. And there were some crazy, like, gnomes could be, like, thief illusionist something. Yeah, you could do, like, three Three, classes. Three, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you could—and then 
you advanced, you split your experience three ways. <laughs> yep. And you advanced at the same time. Now, because the experience tables for each class were, were different, different, yeah, you could be different levels in different classes. So you like could your, be ad- ro- your thief would advance the fastest. Right. But it was still slower than everybody else because you had to split that three or two ways. Yeah, but because the tables were almost, uh, you know, uh, they weren't linear. They were exponential, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you sort of ended up with everybody else because you got those early levels, and by the time you hit like eight or nine, people are needing massive amounts of experience to go up. So it takes up, you know, a hundred thousand experience right. to go up. Well, it only took thirty thousand to get to each of your classes. So all of a sudden, you're just one level behind everybody. Right. But you have three and classes. Gold points were experience. Yes, gold pieces. So if you have that big haul, you can go up one level in each of your classes, right. even though you were limited to one. It was one in each. Yeah. Oh, nice. No, that's good. Which is almost two because you could go right below your, your next level. Uh, but now there's... they were limited. You had a max level, right? Demi-humans. Depending on your race. Right. Yes. Or species uh, Except for or Rogue. Whatever. Everybody was unlimited Rogue as far as I can recall. But then other you were limited in your max level. So even though you could multi-class, you were only going so high where a pure human wizard, magic user, could go as high as they wanted. Right. If you're a uh, non-human, demi-human, what? you were limited. Just trying to remember, I mean, you've got the books here. A dwarf could get to, like, what, maybe level seven as a wizard if he wanted to be a, a wizard? I don't even know if dwarves could be wizards. Well, I was wondering about that. I can't quite remember. I just remember the dwarf could be basically nothing but a cleric or a fighter. Yeah, so... I mean, uh, in terms of having an ability to actually progress... Into Racial higher stock levels. character. Uh, dwarf, and there's a table for this, could be a seventh level cl- cleric, but only as an NPC. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, eighth level. <laughs> a ninth level fighter, but of course, um, if they have a 17th strength, they're limited to seventh level. Uh, <laughs> less than 17th, seventh level. 17th strength, eighth level. If they have an 18th strength, they could be ninth. Speaking of which, they were remember- unlimited as a rogue and ninth level as an assassin. Dwarf assassins. But no wizard. No wizard, no. No wizard, okay. The only so, classes huh. that could be magic users, elves could be 11th level. So it was cleric that they could get to 7th level. Only as NPCs. Only as only an NPC. That, yeah, wow. Um, magic users, elves 11th, half-elves 8th, and humans unlimited. That's it. So you were very limited. I mean, halflings could be NPC druids, fighters, and thieves. Hmm. Uh, you mentioned the strength, 17th strength and 18th strength. Do you remember that if you had an 18th strength, you got to then roll a percentile? percentile. Yeah. Because you could Only be, if you were a fighter. Right. But you could be stronger than 18. Yeah, because the 18, if memory serves me correctly, I'll look, I, now, I don't want to look because I want to be right. You know, it's very important. <laughs> 18, I believe, was just plus one to hit, plus three damage. A straight 18. I think so. And then after that, you started getting the yeah, plus and the, two. 18, the, 100 was plus three, plus six. I know that for sure. No, oh, I shit. thought it was plus four, plus four. No. No, 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 no. Was it? I don't find, let me look up strength. <laughs> Greg's over here just, just going along for the ride. Yeah. Like, I'm glad I never This is it. all insane. So an 18, oh, sorry, 18 plus 1 plus 2, and 18, 1 through 50 is plus 1 plus 3. Um, 18, 100 plus 3 plus 6. Plus I like three that plus no one was yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's and, so confusing no one that, can remember this crap. Yeah. <laughs> that a lot of people missed, only fighters get to roll percentile yes. strength. Nobody else does. Because nobody else could be that strong. Yeah. Um, strength also affected um, your how much you could carry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your course. ability to open a door. So basically, yes. an eighteen strength could open a door on the one through three. 
on right. a D six. Yeah. You just rolled it. it. Didn't really matter the door. <laughs> just, uh, and and it was bend open. bars lift gates. Oh, bend bars lift, lift gates. Oh, I remember yeah. that. Sixteen percent with an eighteen strength. Eighteen one hundred forty percent. Yes, I remember bend that. Bend those bars. Man. Literally steel in your bare hands. You were supermaning it. I mean, you literally just oh, there's there's a portcullis there. I'm until, going to try until to bend you it. couldn't do it. Like right, yeah. you, you could mm-hmm. kick open a door until you can't, <laughs> and then like and then the wizard who has a ten strength has still has a. Won the two chance. So the 18 100 fighter, you know, has a one through five, rolls a six, bounces off the door. The wizard's like, let me give it a try. <laughs> rolls a one, busts open the door. Yeah. Nice. Well, uh, you know, varying qualities of iron in the doors. Yeah. Good Lord. Uh, okay. <laughs> now, dual class was for humans. And dual class was different. You didn't start as two classes, you leveled in one class. At some point, you said, I want to switch to a different class. You started at first level as your new class. And here's the irony. While you were leveling your new class, until you caught up with your old class, you had none of the class features. Yeah, it's like so, you get a degree in something and you want to go for another degree. You forgot everything in yeah. that first degree. But then once you hit your your old level, you get all that back. Right? And that's it's actually character with two classes. You suddenly remember. Um. Uh, so, and they, there's rules for their attributes and stuff. You still keep your hit points. Very, very convoluted uh, system. Um, let's see here. They, there's guys, so many. I there mean, are so many. I mean, the whole game system was quirky, but it. the thing is, is that it worked for us. It yeah. was exactly what we needed at the time. Yeah. And you made and it, it work. Was, and you made exactly, yeah, Greg. You, you made, made it, work. it work. Yeah, you picked what you wanted. If there was something insane like that, you could just maybe kind of ignore it if it didn't affect what was going on. Yeah, but there were so many things that, and so many people who played it so differently in so many different ways. And some people used every rule in the book. I mean, All what's right. what's our next one? Okay, Appendix One in the Player's Handbook. Psionics. <laughs> oh gosh, this was one most people didn't play with. And this yeah. is one of my favorite stories. So when you made a character, you had a random chance of being psionic. Right. And it was based on your ability scores. It was a pretty low chance. Um, there was modifiers. You had a roll percentile die. But at some point, you may have been a character who could bend spoons. Yeah. Now, here's the worst part. If you weren't psionic, psionic characters had a very limited way to attack you. And it wasn't all that debilitating. I mean, a mind flare would mess you up. But otherwise, like other psionics probably wouldn't do a whole lot to you um if you were psionic it opened you up to pretty much every avenue of attack by another psionic so the worst thing in the world was when you rolled to be psionic and then you rolled really low for how powerful you were yeah (laughs) because that was another random roll because basically anything that came across you that was psionic would just have your brain for lunch um jeez (laughs) yeah let me uh, determine the number of psionic points the character has Per the player's handbook, you make a roll from zero, or I'm sorry, from uh, from one to 100, and add bonuses of from one to 72 for a total of two to 172. Again, I think that was, I don't even know what I'm reading anymore. I and know. that's it was incredibly common. Yeah. Now the best part about Sonics, let me just the names of the attacks and the defenses. So the attacks, there was five attacks and five defenses. Psionic blast, mm-hmm. mind thrust. That was that might be related to the harlot table. <laughs> that was say, that sure. sounds a, that sounds a little naughty. Ego whip, 
<laughs> Id Insinuation and Psychic Crush, which is a soft drink, I think. It was just yeah. a bunch of dominatrixes out there. With, okay. Oh, the defenses man. were Mind Blank, Thought Shield, <laughs> Mental Barrier, Intellect Fortress, and Tower of Iron Will. They had really cool names for Sonic <laughs> abilities. But then you also had, like, disciplines where you could do stuff like Detect Magic or Clairvoyance. and So it was really cool to be a Sonic, but it sucked to be... A weak psionic yeah. because other people would, would eat you for lunch. The other interesting thing of psionics is a combat round was generally 10 segments long. Mm-hmm. During that 10 segments, you got um, one attack and one set of movement. Well, actually, you got one action. You could move or attack unless you charge. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> psionics happen 10 times faster, and you acted on every round, every segment. <laughs> I'm sorry. You both attacked and defended. And they suggested that you resolve psionic combat before the regular combat round. So you did 10 segments of psionic combat. (laughs) So frequently what would happen is you would bust into a room and somebody's head would explode. (laughs) Because 10 rounds of attack and defense were enough to totally finish a psionic combat. And everyone else hasn't done anything yet. Yeah. Psionics was it, crazy. It does, it does make up a little bit for the psionic not being very powerful to start with. Yeah, and, and there have been attempts in later D&D to add the psionicist class to sort of get that feel again. I remember when the Mind Flayers came out, I mean, they were in the Monster Manual and such, and they had those psionic attacks and such. I, I The character, I'm, I'm sorry, the, 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 the creature was intriguing to me, but then it added that whole bit of psionic combat and everything, and, and it kind of threw me off and i'm like oh, i really don't want to do this so i think when i did use it it basically you know uh screwed with the person's mind and and yeah i don't think i really that's had, why mind flayers are terrifying yeah, i just didn't <laughs> do combat with them the other problem psionics had um did you guys ever play shadow run i did not okay so shadow runs a you know dark no, i remember yeah. kind of technology based game with some magic i think another game i played like once there's a class in shadow run called the decker and they, they yeah. sort of, like, hack into computer systems. Yeah. The problem is when the Decker starts to hack into computer systems, everybody else at the table just sits because they can't do anything, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Same thing happened with psionics. Yeah. When you had one psionic character and you're resolving 10 segments of psionic combat, which is essentially, like, 10 combat rounds because they act every segment, everyone else is bored out of their skull. Mm-hmm. Snack Literally time. because it's a psionic combat. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Bathroom break, snack time. Yep. Yeah. Come back so and find out what happened. So it slowed the game up considerably. That's, a lot of people didn't use it. It was cool to roll a psionic character, but a lot of a lot of times nobody even made the roll because the DM just didn't want to deal with it, which is fair. Okay. Um, moving on. Moving on. Yeah. So we've talked about a couple other things that I just want to briefly mention. Uh, the hirelings, henchmen, titles, and keeps, uh, where as characters leveled, they were expected to sort of gather this entourage. They were almost like Beyonce going out clubbing. <laughs> like clubbing, like literally clubbing. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, which was a big part of the game back then. Yep. You know, you had like your followers and you could like tell them to do stuff and they would you know, like go and collect things. And I could see where that would be cool. And, and you built a castle and everybody had their own. You know? Now, um, we're, we're going to talk about this in our next uh, podcast with the uh, fighter class. The fighters were kind of expected at a certain level to build or to yeah. establish a freehold and become, you know, a start, lord of, and start taxing people. Yeah, you tax people and you provided protection. <laughs> yeah. and, I mean, that's a whole. And if you read the early history, 
that actually is how they sort of played. Like they would get together, but then there was also stuff that would happen individually where, and a lot of it was through correspondence. Right. They'd be like, I want to do this and this and this. And that's a fun part of the game that I sort of miss. Like that ongoing dialogue between a player and a DM for your individual character and development. Mm-hmm. We've sort of gotten away from that. Now it's like we, everything's a, it's a group game. It's a, you know, it's a social activity and it is, but as a min-maxer, I appreciate the ability to like work on my character and, yeah. and do stuff. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it wasn't always positive. Sometimes you were getting like, you know, the DM was screwing with you. Um, but that was a fun part part of the game. Yeah, we used to do that uh, uh, when we played Champions. We called that blue booking, which is where outside of the game, the player and the character via email would just yeah. have whole whole adventures outside of, yeah. and you would show up to the next time, and the character would be like, that. oh, my character, they're gone. We used to do solo adventures every once yeah. in a while. If, it, oh, if yeah. the need mm-hmm. arose, like the, the rogue wanted to, or the thief wanted to break into a, another a neighboring thieves guild and steal something. Well, obviously the party's not going with him. He's going to be stealthy. So they would just set up a side session, and they would do that. I had a few of those, and I found those to be very enjoyable because um, for me as a DM, it made it a lot easier because you just had one person making the decisions and all that type of stuff, and the the party was not... uh, Didn't have to sit through it. Yeah, they didn't have to sit through (laughs) it. And sometimes, you know, you had in every group, you always had some people who were paying more attention than the others, and, you know, if you had a large group, then it took forever to get through a combat sequence. The the other part of it I liked was that it let some players know stuff that everybody else didn't know. When you play in a group, it's hard for a lot of players not to act on metagame knowledge. Can oh, you? yeah. All right, I'm going to bring up something that I don't know if it was just my group in particular. That whole idea of some players knew things more than others. We used to pass, like grade school kids, notes around to the DM. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We Did still you, do okay, that. You, okay. All right. We still so do you that. still do that. Oh, yeah. It got to be an epidemic to the point where I was reading what the characters were saying and or doing, and then they were reading others. You know, it, it was like a game inside. You know what they do on Critical Role? Because I've been trying to catch up, mostly for podcasts, but also because I've been painting a lot of minis lately, and I keep it on in the background. <laughs> they send text messages. The DM will send text messages to the player oh, at wow. the table and it, vice nice. versa, which is a great way to do it because we used to have to write it on paper notes. I had yeah, to put a— uh, We still do paper notes. I wouldn't say I put a ban on it, but I had to quash it because it yeah. was getting to the point it's like, you know, as soon as the thing started up and if somebody had pissed somebody else off, it's like, first opportunity, I'm going to try to sneak around behind him and stab him yeah, in the back. I, and I'm like, come on! PvP was a thing like <laughs> yeah, in AD&D. Yeah. Like, oh, characters yeah. would and could attack each other. And they did it on a regular basis. It depends on the group. But yes. Yeah. I mean, sometimes we got into our games, and we yeah. played regularly. I mean, like, three times a week regularly. And sometimes our... Ah, the good old days. <laughs> yeah, when you could do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> old man Greg over yeah. there. Yeah. So, but yeah. Anyway, um, uh, that whole thing of, of passing notes that was a bad thing for me. So yeah, it it can work, but um, depends on what game you're playing too, right. and, and what's going on in the game. So just another quirkiness that we sort of glossed over: magic users could cast up to ninth level spells, but they were limited to what spells they could cast, which was uh, what spell level they could cast. It was ten minus or uh, intelligence minus ten was the maximum level they could cast. So if you had a 10 intelligence magic user, you couldn't cast first level spells. Right. Um, And if you had a 15 intelligence magic user, you could only cast up to 
fifth level spells. Now keep in mind, you couldn't just get an 18 very easily on any of those generation methods. Your highest score would generally be about a 16. So you better hope that you were picking up intelligence increases as you were leveling, or you wouldn't be even be able to cast the spells that you theoretically should be able to cast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just a weird one. And one thing that They're we should always... I mean, these are all uh, quirky rules. Uh, we haven't touched on this yet. Clerics only using blunt blood weapons. weapons. Yeah. yeah. They can't shed blood. Yeah, which is... Yeah. You know, if you uh, club somebody in the head with a mace, yeah. I have a hard time believing you're <laughs> yeah. not shedding blood. Yeah. Right, yeah. But apparently, uh, and and accounts <laughs> vary for mace. this, but from the, the research I did, it seems as though the uh, impetus for that was that Gary Gygax uh, had heard stories about Archbishop Turpin, who wielded a mace because he didn't want to shed blood. And he just brought that into the game. He's yep. like, clerics don't shed blood. Right. And the first cleric was like a vampire hunter that they, it wasn't an original class. They added it. So they just ah, made up special okay. rules for it. They're like, hey, yeah, clerics can't use use bladed weapons. They can only mm-hmm. use blunt weapons. And uh, we touched on this a little bit. I mean, you know, that whole racial limitation thing. Um, yeah, races were limited based on what class yeah. and, and level because, they could be. Because, you know, your cleric is limited to blunt weapons, and depending on your race, you're limited to certain things, and too. As, and as a min-maxer slash power gamer, I hated that, because, like, <laughs> if I was going to play a non-human, I almost always wanted to be a thief at multi-class, because the, well, everybody's unlimited and thief. Everybody would, because why would you not if that was the easiest thing yeah, to get ahead Yeah, but if I really wanted to be a wizard, I knew I was going to top out my wizard, and then what? So if I was a thief, at least I was still gaining levels as I progressed. Um, yeah, it, it was weird. <sighs> yeah. How the hell did we play this game? I, I have no idea. You know what? Nobody ever got to that high a level in most cases. Yeah. Your characters died very frequently. Um, what else was really Okay, quirky? so grappling. Oh, no. Don't even go there. Um, and, no. And it wasn't, I still have trouble with it now. And it wasn't even grappling. It was pummeling, grappling, and overbearing. That's what the the set of rules was called. Like uh, as if the rules would be are like, overbearing. Oh, yes, clearly, pummeling is different than than grappling and overbearing. Like they each need their own separate category. You you uh, in our uh, notes here, you wrote out some stuff, and yeah. what you wrote out, I think, is just as confusing. It was well, what I understand was in the, it. Well, of course you do. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so so in true AD&D fashion, and Dean has a note on our outline here, two and a half hours later and two very large cups of coffee, I still can't get past the first paragraph without nearly having an aneurysm. <laughs> this is another one of those caveats that people tended not to use this rule set. Um, and it got refined pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Let me also add that I don't think there's a game system I've played that has good grappling rules. Um, it's a very difficult thing to do because it gets overpowered very quickly. I mean, the whole idea is that you basically subdue an opponent quickly. Well, you don't want to do that in a, in a fantasy. You don't want your opponents to be, you know, pinned down to the ground and helpless. So, Same reason, like, you can't kill I somebody do. with one sword strike in most cases, although in AD&D you could. Yeah, and so grappling is also one of those things that almost immediately the players start wanting a practical real world explanation for yeah. you can, it's easy to explain stabbing somebody it's easy to explain hitting somebody but when you're grappling with somebody like well i've just got him around the waist but i've got him around the shoulders but it's 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 got so much mm-hmm. real world variation in it yeah. 
that it, it I don't think Same it can be explained. Same reason people want to know why they can't coup de grace an immobile opponent. Why can't I just let his throat? Yeah, because that's not yeah, the way the guy, system works. Got a guy laying on the ground. Because that's true. And it yeah. is coup de grace, by the way. It is not coup de gras. It is not coup de gras. Coup de gras is like duck fat. And gras and grace are, are different words in French. That's so. why I'm not French. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so also been... because your parents weren't French would be why. You're not French. <laughs> um, <just>. Ooh. <laughs> uh, yeah, you get to pick whether you're yeah, French or not. I don't think not. it's yeah. based on what languages you speak. I think it's a little more than that. Um, but we're getting nitpicky. Uh, so anyway, here's how grappling works. So, you know, we Air roll D20s. We roll D20s for everything else. Let's throw that system right out the window because AD&D. We need a separate entire system. Well, you remember, get all those extra dice, too. Remember we talked about how each class has its own attack table. Right. <laughs> and that table has down the vertical all the different armor classes from positive 10 to negative 10, including zero. <laughs> but across the horizontal axis, it has the level. And that range varies based on what class you are. So fighters, it was one to two, three to four, uh, mm-hmm. five to six. Magic users, I believe, was one to five, six to 10. <laughs> Uh, was it really that bad? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I I, I don't want to take the yeah. time to pull yeah. it out, but it, it was ro- awful. Robes were getting in the way. Right, and that yeah. determined how quickly your number decreased in order to hit a, hit right. a target. So they used that table, but they didn't really use the table. They didn't use the number on the table. They just used the table and the horizontal axis. So if I wanted to attack somebody, grapple somebody, I would look at my table and have count how many columns into the table I was <laughs> from left to right. So if I was a fifth level fighter, I would be three columns in because I go through one to two, three to four, five to six. So I'm at the third column in. Um, and that is my modifier on a die roll. If I was a fifth level wizard, I only have a one modifier because my table goes one to five. So. Like Greg said, I think at this point, uh, you know, everybody's looking for some tangible explanation. Yeah. I think they were making shit up at this point. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> totally. Then totally. the attacker rolls a D6 and adds their modifier to it. The defender only rolls a D4. Yeah. So it's better to be the attacker. <laughs> okay. Um, and basically, <laughs> if you hit, then you're successful. Okay, and then and then the grapple over bear or uh, pummel occurs, yeah. and there's special rules for that. <laughs> Crazy. Most people didn't use it. What they is what is, o- what is overbearing? I don't. Uh, overbearing I, is like knocking someone over. It would be the shove action. And, oh, okay, okay. You know, I'm not sure yeah. what pummeling is though. No, well, that was just, that just sounds like you're just beating somebody. On somebody oh, but then that's Greg, not a grapple. You know, that's, you know, a, that's a beat. You know what that's overbearing is? It's it's Eric at a party. I would like to think it's me all the time, but. Yeah, so grappling rules, also very convoluted in true AD&D fashion. Oh, my God. Nice. Um, you know, this is actually making me tired. Yeah. No, yes. really. It's just like mentally exhausting Yeah. trying to figure this out. You know, I know we're not done here, but the one takeaway Promise. I'm getting from all of this is that this is why we played Palladium. And, and Mike, the, Dick. Mike, Mike, the guy that got into us, he that, that got to play, he's like, yeah, I've been playing D&D for the last two or three years. He goes, but it's gotten so complicated. I can't, Let, I don't want to try to explain it to you guys. And he was a very much a, a rules is written kind of guy. Mm. And he was just like, 
yeah, you guys are never going to fall for this, so this is a lot easier. Let's do this. Let me provide a counter-argument for that. <laughs> and I don't know if this was the way for Dean. Did he think you were stupid, Greg, or what? No, he just he, he was just trying to sell us on something. Because we knew by that point, by 83, there was a, a pile of books, and yeah. it was complicated and all this. And, you know, we were cheapskates. And he's like, you got to buy the one book, and it's easier. And we were just like, yeah, okay. I mean, we can, and which is ironic, since before this, we were mostly playing Starfleet Battles, which... Not easy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how Dean felt, but back in the day, it was a point of pride that you had mastery over the <laughs> AD&D rules. And even then, you didn't have true mastery. No. But, like, it was a pretty small community, and I was the D&D guy. Like, there, were lo- there was a lot of people who played, most of whom I started playing, and then it would split off. But if there was a rule question, they came to me. Because they knew I knew the rules. Yeah. I think. Um, yeah, and I can see that. Yeah, I would say that's true. Yeah, uh, that's that's a fair point. Um, yeah, I think yeah. a lot of our uh, my gamers at that point depended on me to know the rules, because honestly, I I don't know if they actually had books themselves, which is probably the reason my books are it was so hard to get books so worn. Yeah. I think maybe it's because they were using mine. There may have been another player's handbook, but in terms of the DM guide and the monster manual and stuff like that, I think I was the only one who had it. So yeah, and so we had the opposite problem. We had a great resource. We could go up to Slot and Wing. Uh, when we started playing Plating, we just we told them, "Hey, we need to order. We want to order five copies of this book." Right. And a week later, we all had a book. Yeah. And we were making up characters in a group and running through everything. So yeah, yeah, that uh, that has a, that that plays in it, and and it was cool that somebody knew everything. But you know, after a while, everybody wanted to know everything, and yeah, and we knew it was quirky. We yeah. knew there was all these crazy exceptions to every rule. But that was, you know, it, but also the the kids who played D and D back then, mostly boys. Um, you know, I was we used to hang out in the advanced studies program room, <laughs> and all those kids played D and D. I mean, that was the the group. You know, the kids in metal shop weren't playing D and D. You know, I. I Interesting point. Uh, you just brought up a very interesting point. Advanced studies. I don't know if we had an advanced studies uh, program at my high school because I certainly was not in it. Well, so there was I only would... like 15 or 20 of you, yeah. too, wasn't there? <laughs> well, there were 29 total students <laughs> in, my, in my class. There was 100 people, almost 100 people in my entire high school. So um, One kid was charged with uh, throwing the wood into the stove to make sure everything was warm in no. a cold Illinois winter. <laughs> but... Um, None of those kids that I played the games with, I mean, we were all smart in our own way, but we were not like the advanced students. We were not the advanced, if you want to call them smart students. We were all the average C and B level students. Well, I didn't say I was an A student. You know, I, know. I, I was an underachiever before they knew what underachievers <laughs> yeah. were. But um, what I'm saying, you just yeah. brought up, you know, you're yeah, in the advanced no. studies course. No, we were doing it in study hall. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and we it eventually spread to to a wider group, but originally, like I said, the guy, the kid who taught me how to play D and D went to cello camp, classical music <laughs> camp. I mean, wow. like that's, no. that's where he learned it. No, the guys I played with beat up the kids who went to cello camp. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and you didn't talk about playing D and D back then, like for that reason. Yeah, I think we could because we were the ones who were the you ones, were the cool kids. We were the ones that you know we had players who would beat up the other people if they made fun of us. <laughs> 
That's always good. Um, so. Yeah, so I think we've covered most of the, the stuff. We don't want oh, to run this overly long. Oh, there's so many. That yeah, if anybody continue. has, you know, wants to post any comments on our Facebook page, that'd be great from their recollections back in the day. And if we gave any of you uh, a headache with this, we apologize because we have the same headache after talking about all this. <laughs> I am sort of excited to go to a convention and play first edition now because this has dredged up all those memories. But it also scares me, too. I don't know. I, don't, I mean, how hardcore are they going to be? I tell you the truth. If after doing this, I'm I could run a first edition game now. The the other thing we didn't talk about is the combat sequence. Uh-huh. There's a there's a page out there's a document out there that's like ten pages long of how D D A D and D combat supposed to be ran. You Nobody ever followed it. Do you want like, me to go through real quick? I can read it real quick, just for our listeners. Yeah. Sure. You mentioned it. Okay. Uh, and this, this, is, this is something important. This is coming from a uh, somebody who's gleaned all this stuff off. But, okay, so it's uh, six steps. But within <laughs> those steps, there are eight other steps. <laughs> Sub-steps. Uh, so, one, determine if either or both parties are surprised. Yeah. Two. And de- that's a D6 roll, right? Determine distance, if unknown, between the parties. Three. If both parties are unsurprised or equally surprised, determine initiative for that round. And then four, determine the results of whether or whatever actions are decided upon by the party with initiative. Yeah, so, well, let's go back. First, if somebody is surprised, there's a surprise round that happens before initiative's even right. rolled. Yes. Yeah. And then once that's done, you go into initiative. And then in the initiative, you now have uh, a nine extra steps. These are your options. Avoid engagement. Attempt to parlay. Yeah. <laughs> Stop. Oh. <laughs> Don't hit me. <laughs> Sit here and await action by the other party. Discharge missiles or magical device attacks or cast spells or turn undead. Yeah. So you kind of did all that. So that, that missile range, fire. range combat first. Yeah. Right. And that is directly from wargaming. Yes. Directly from wargaming. Yeah. Missiles. Unless the spell had a casting time over yes. one segment. Ah, yeah. which I, like, I kind of like that, actually. Yeah. Uh, close to striking distance or charge. Set weapons against a possible charge. <laughs> yeah. Because you couldn't move your attack. Right? You moved or you attacked. So if you yes. wanted to move an attack, you had to charge. Yes. But ah. if somebody had a set weapon... That yeah, was a good idea. Exactly. Um, and then strike blows with weapons to kill or subdue. <laughs> Got it. You know, yeah. kill. And then possible grapple or hold. Yeah. Okay. So that happened last. They get to smack you with their sword before you get to try to wrestle them. Yes. And then number five, that's step five. We're still not out of the six steps. Determine the results of whatever actions you just decided to do yeah, as a party. Because, and here's the thing that sort of got missed there. You declare your action. Yes. Before anybody takes any actions. Everybody declares their action yes, first. Exactly. Oh, that's interesting. Yep. Um, and then finally, continue each combat round by determination of di- distance, initiative, and action until combat ends. Due to <laughs> fleeing, inability to continue, or death of one or both parties. Or, and I would put an addendum on there, you just got tired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the, the actual mechanics of yeah. the combat round got tricky because spells could s- go across... A certain number of segments. Surprise yeah. rounds could be multiple segments. Mm-hmm. Now, see, on its surface, that makes perfect sense. It, it gets it very convoluted just very quickly. Actually, doing it would be kind of a mess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, this... And the combat was deadly, though. So, oh yeah, like yep. it was serious business when you engaged a Especially creature. Especially if you're declaring something before anybody went, and then by the time it got to you, and you were, you know, dead, well, I mean, and you would were... declare, "I charge," and the person who goes faster than you goes. I will brace against a charge, and you're like, crap, 
I just yeah. impaled myself on a polearm. Right. Yep. There's no going back. Yeah. Once you declared, that's what that's you it. did. So yeah. it's that's a lot of dead PCs there. Good to be quick because you declared last. Right. So where do we go from here? Are we? Uh... I think I think we need to wrap it up. We try to keep these a reasonable length. We could go on forever and ever about all the crazy AD and D, but we covered the most important thing, which was the harlot encounter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I'm sure we will we will revisit AD and I mean, we yeah. still want to do a podcast on the history. We talk a lot about it. Yeah. Um, I think probably we will eventually do that. But this was enough research by itself. I can't. Mm-hmm. We're still sort of doing the research for. Yeah. You know the the one hour. Here's a history of D and D podcast, huh. right? Yeah, well, we but we are going to continue with our class based series. Yes, and yeah, those are fun. Next. Our next one will be the fighter class, and I already have one made up. I'm Uh-oh. very excited. I've not gone that far. I'm yeah. still working on the outline. <laughs> so. I don't have an idea yet. Right. <laughs> well, with that being said, Greg, take us out. <laughs> Wait a second! Don't stop listening. We all know how you guys are. As soon as I tell Greg to take us out and wrap up the show, you stop listening. Well, we've got one more thing we want to throw at you, so sit back and enjoy this. Then, then you can stop listening. Looking for somewhere to park that elderly parent who does nothing but talk about Dungeons and Dragons all day? At the Blessed Fields of Elysium Retirement Home, we cater to the needs of aging grognards. At Blessed Fields of Elysium Retirement Home, each room comes with a full set of large print polyhedral dice. Our trained staff will settle any rule disputes in a professional... Hey, check out our new activity coordinator. He looks like he's 12 years old. His first character was probably based on anime. Uh Uh-oh, here he comes. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Today for our activity, we are going to play 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. 5th edition? The hell's wrong with 4th edition? I don't need advantage to hit things. In my day, you spent 10 minutes sifting through your at-will, per-encounter, and per-day power cards. Choose your action, apply status effects, forced movement, and damage taken into account your half-level bonus modifier and trained or untrained status. We don't need something as complicated as advantage. Power cards? Are you kidding me? When I played 3rd edition, I had a 20-page character sheet. We didn't need encounter cards. We calculated our to-hit bonuses on our TI scientific calculators, and we liked it. I needed a spreadsheet to plan out my rogue's character advancement up to level 20, and that was before I even rolled the first die. That's how you play D&D. Rogues? You had rogues? In second edition, our character class was thieves. Do you know how freaking hard it is to steal something when your job title is thief? Thieves? If we only had thieves, when I played Redbox... The dwarf would have given us Bell the Dwarven Lords for a class. Instead, he was just a dwarf. Only the snobby humans got to have a character class. How racist. Belt of Dwarven Lords? When I played Palladium, my dwarf wrapped a dead kobold around his waist and called it a day. What we would have given for a Belt of Dwarven Lords? Palladium? Heretic. You do realize this is a Dungeons and Dragons nursing home, right? Innkeeper, I demand that you remove this interloper. That's a nurse, Dean. Yep, if you want to uh, give us some of your quirky comments or comment on our quirky podcast, you can get a hold of us on Facebook, where we are the Grognards. Um, uh, If you want to tweet at us, we are at T Grognards. 
and on Instagram, we are the underscore grognards. And of course, you can always send us an email. We would love to get one someday at gamers at the grognards.com. <laughs> Is that a request? <laughs> I'll send Greg an email. Send me an email. All right. Well, thank you all very much for uh, for listening today to our quirky podcast. I need some ibuprofen, I think. After yeah, this. possibly. <laughs> I'm hoping this one will be popular with the younger crowd. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god anyway it's gonna to sort to the top of the charts yes that's right exactly it'll be our most listened to yes especially in the retirement homes that's right that's right. blessed fields of elysium all right <laughs> well for the grognards i'm dean geiken i'm eric holly and i'm greg ziegler game on <laughs>